Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I'm super excited to chat with our guest today. So we have David Crum, and David has really, really interesting background. He owns three law firms. He's the CEO of Cardinal Concepts, and he is also the author of Confessions of a Divorce Assassin. So we have a lot to talk about. I'm really, really excited to talk with him, but uh, thanks for coming on the show, David. Yeah, Jan, thanks for having me. I'm I'm actually really excited too. This has got to be one of my favorite topics to talk about is sort where entrepreneurship meets the law. And I think this is just an unprecedented time to do that and to be successful doing that. All right, awesome. So let's get into it. As far as kind of, let's talk about the story. And if we could bring it back to when you were starting the firm and how did we get to the point where you got three firms, we got the marketing company, got all kinds of stuff going on. But like, let's take us back to the beginning. How did this all start? Yeah, I was just forced into it. <laughs> I couldn't get a job. I graduated from law school in 1996, terrible job market. I was doing some contract work with a very nice experienced attorney. And he suggested that I rent space in his building and start my practice. So that's that's really all I've done since the age of 26. So I started New Mexico. We built that practice to a fairly large practice, especially for that market. And at that point, I, I was almost fully leveraged out of the practice and I didn't really know what to do next. So I was going to do some coaching. And anybody that's watching this who's a lawyer or has worked with lawyers know that that sucks working with lawyers. They don't like to list so I said, I don't want to do that. I, I'm just going to take what I would teach them and I'm going to roll it into my own practices. So we started to practice in Nebraska where I grew up. That market made sense. That was successful. So we came up to Denver. I'm in Denver today. So we have a practice up here. So it's three states with, I guess, six locations because we're also in some smaller town cities like Las Cruces, New Mexico, Lincoln, Nebraska, Grand Junction, and Colorado Springs. So we've got about 85 employees now under what we call U.S. legal groups. Okay, that's awesome. And I forgot to mention this in the beginning, but the focus is primarily family law for the practice, right? Yeah, it's about 85 to 90% family law. We do some criminal defense, we do some estate planning, and we're really at the point in our practice growth where we're going to have to look at other verticals because we're kind of reaching saturation in some of the smaller markets. I'm sure you've had to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have. It's annoying, but like, yeah, it's really <laughs> annoying. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I want to kind of start talking about family law. And you know, given that you have the experience with the other ones as well, too, what do you think is different about family law? What do you think is the same about family law? When we're talking about, you know, general law practice comparing to the criminal stuff or the estate planning stuff or PI. Like what's unique? What do you find uh, challenging? What do you find exciting about family law? I think what's unique about it is it relates to other law practices. And this is why I started in this area when I was a young attorney, just because there's so much work there, right? So there's there's a ton of work. The cash flow is good. Um, our firm actually bills every two weeks, which is a little bit unique in the space. And it's highly scalable. You know, I like it personally just because I can come in instantly in a case. I don't practice anymore. But when I was, I could come in instantly and make a difference. I could make an impact immediately in the case. And I could see the results, you know, and literally change someone's life by helping them not only resolve the case, but maybe reframe what they're going through and look at it in a much more positive way. 
So, you know, it's been a great practice area for us, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because we were talking a little bit about the pre-chat and it's interesting because you know, we've been doing a lot of work in the estate planning space recently. And it's kind of funny. I ended up writing this as a sales letter, but I don't know if it was true or not. I always was under the impression that family law was tough to scale just because, you know, you got to have at least the, the litigation side of things is like, I always thought it was hard to find people to get the work done. And like, it was, a, it was tough to scale from that perspective. But I mean, obviously it's not the case if you guys have been able to do as well as you have. Yeah. And I think there's one primary reason for that. Well, and let me say first, like if I was starting over again, I would not start law practices. I just think Interesting. It's, <laughs> it's too complex. It's uh, you have really highly paid people on your team, you know, so in that sense, it's not scalable like it would be we're selling widgets to someone. But what we've done is sort of created a unique model. We pay on a build and collected model with our attorneys mm -hmm. rather than just put them on a salary. And what that allows them to do is is make a lot more money than their colleagues. So we can recruit people in a way that other law firms can't. And I think that that's what's made it scalable. So we can, in many markets, just go out and get pretty much who we want because of of our reputation, what we pay, our infrastructure. So I think that's why we've been successful scaling. But yes, talent is the biggest challenge to scaling divorce and family law practice. Yeah, I love your approach though, because it's like, if you're able to be unique in the hiring market, then you know it's easy to launch six locations, right? Because if talent's the tough part and you've got a secret weapon on that, that's awesome. I think this is the kind of stuff that you're also helping people out with the Cardinal Concepts, right? Yeah. So Cardinal Concepts is really kind of a marketing, extraordinarily unique marketing company because we're niched into divorce and family law. And the way that came about is we finally, out of frustration and using third-party vendors for our marketing, we were spending so much money that it made sense to build our own team with just like the most talented people we could find. That's what we ended up doing. So we have all of the campaigns that we provide for Cardinal Concepts clients, we've developed, tested, and used ourselves. So our clients benefit from that. It's We call it a launch and earn model because it's ready to launch like right out of the box. And so it, it allows the people that work with us to, to have very predictable outcomes for their marketing. We could tell them if you spend this much, you're going to get this many clients. Here's your average case value. So the people that are using us and listening to us are really scaling our practices. Now, we also have attorneys who go in and do the craziest shit, like just decide one weekend to go into their Google PPC, their AdWords account, and just change the demographics <laughs> just for no reason and just screw up five hours of work for us. So yes. Yeah. So when they listen, it's awesome. Okay. That's awesome. And then as far as like, I'll say this too, because if we actually used to do AdWords way back in the day and kind of doing the math, I was actually going to do a solo podcast episode on that, but like, there's a point in which that absolutely makes sense. Like I know it's pretty standard for AdWords agencies to charge 20% on ad spend. So once you get to the point where that number gets big enough, like you can hire absolutely top flight people and get them full-time instead of getting an agency part-time. And depending on whether the agency has, the expertise. But I think that's really where like the strike zone is. I think that's where you guys have arrived, right? Because it's like, you're actually better off because you have family law experience in all these different geographics, areas, metros, demographics, income levels, blah, blah, blah. So you have that kind of stuff that would be super, super tough to catch up on at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, the conversation is almost always the same with every attorney I talk to. And, you know, they want more clients and they, they're they really gun shy about AdWords because most mm -hmm. of them has been burned as I was multiple times. Yeah. So now we can give them the confidence to say, look, 
the campaigns that we're going to use are already built. We have thousands and thousands of negative keywords. We have day parting. We have everything that's needed in those accounts. And it's they can predict very closely how that's going to work for them. It's just one of those things. If you don't have it dialed in, and then I'll say this to your listeners, if they're thinking about PPC, in my opinion, it is still the quickest way to clients, but it is fraught with danger. I mean, you can spend, as I'm sure you've seen this, $10,000, $20,000 with no clients. It's just devastating. But in Denver alone, our own firm spends $20,000 a month on PPC and it works for us. So I'm still very confident, certainly in that channel. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I got started off in Google AdWords in like probably 2015. And at the time, like SEO was like the toast of the town. And I thought it was super cool. It was like, hey, you guys want to wait 12 months to do this? Or do you want to wait 12 hours? We can get you on the front page of Google. Forget about it. But I think it's kind of funny because I've always seen like in the agency space, it's like it attracts a lot of young tech whizzes, blah, blah, blah. And no one, I feel like we're headed towards a point where there's going to be fewer people that actually know how to do Google AdWords than ever before. It's like this kind of silent blue chip channel that no one's been paying attention to for the last three years because everyone's chasing Facebook or TikTok or whatever the sexy thing of the, of the day is. But, you know, this still stuff still crushes. And like as far as kind of the ROI, like, you know, when it works and you have everything dialed in, that's awesome. But like what kind of a return do you think somebody should be targeting on AdWords? And like what kind of stuff do you usually see for yourself or for clients? Yeah. I should tell you that if I get one more email from marketers that say they're going to 10x or 20x my firm, I'm going to kill myself. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't handle it anymore, dude. Yeah. But so we were in a conversation just like that with the client and it was actually wasn't the client. It was the client's director of marketing. She was looking for a marketing team and he was saying the same thing. Well, are you going to get us to 20x? And we were kind of pushing back on that, but we were showing them the campaigns and the campaigns that we were pitching to them that had to do with custody and some other issues, they were like, they were coming in at 10 times your investment. So I'd say if you're getting eight to 10, that's phenomenal. I mean, we do really well. I can just tell you, our firm's combined last week set 75 paid consults in a week. Mm. So the stuff is working. It's just, it depends on what the market and your cost per click and cost per lead. But typically we're seeing cost per lead come down over time. We take over their campaigns. And, and then the question is, you have to decide what is an acceptable ROI. Cause you probably know, Jan, like you're going to kind of top out in that space because you can see search impression. Mm. So if you're 95%, search impression, you don't have a whole lot to go, but then you start having a diminishing rate of return. And maybe that's okay down to four, four X or three X or two. I don't know. It's just those clients are still there. It depends on what you're okay with over time. But I'd say at the beginning, I don't think it's unreasonable to say eight to 10 times return. Yeah. And that's awesome. I mean, the thing is that like, I have this, I have a bit of a bone to pick and I'm not going to say uh, who, but like, there are some pretty big names in the space that are advocating for a 20 X return investment, 15 X return investment or go home. And I think these back out to some weird accounting ratios or something like that. But it's just like, this is my joke when I always say to people, it's like, if you're running a service business, that's getting a 20 X return consistently, there's a file on you at the ATF. <laughs> like, you're, you're trafficking people or organs. You're man. doing something. <laughs> You're doing something. Right. Yeah, it's preposterous. I mean, think about this, because I did do this. I took a business and 10X'd it. That means I took from a million dollars of gross income to over $10 million. It took me 
forever. It took me, and it was no marketing team is going to do that for you. You know, I mean, that's a big number. So I would just suggest people to set their, their sites realistically. And almost always, if you're seeing like a 20 X, something like that, I'd be running the other way. Yeah. That's a sucker's gambit in my opinion. I'm too. seeing a lot of that shit. And it's just, yeah. nobody's believing that, that knows how to do See, the other problem is this, where we see it, you know, and we've had some okay PPC companies, agencies, but if you don't know, if you don't practice law, that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. There's a huge disconnect, you know, like we had companies that were bidding on terms like child support, which seems, hey, that seems reasonable, right? No, nobody hires on those terms. Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm seeing $4,000 spent on clicks for child support in a month. It's like, you're fired. It's <laughs> insane. Yeah. And I'll also say this too, because like the other part of the IROI conversation, and you mentioned this in passing, but I definitely want to double click on this paid consults. Cause it's like, there's also feeding into the sales thing. It's like, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting a 20 X ROI or, you know, any sort of an ROI. If you're not, you know, your average client value is 1500 bucks and you're billing out at 75 bucks an hour, right? Like you got to figure out how to set up these client engagements in a way that's going to pay you. And you got to work on driving that LTV up. Right. So, um, I want to talk to you about how you're, and this is both for the firm and for the people in Cardinal Concepts, like how do you think about maximizing client value and how do you recommend people set up pricing so that they're able to get more per client? Well, I'll tell you, I was a little surprised by this when we got into some of this with some other law firms, but we've, we've charged a pretty decent amount for consults from day one. And I, I still know some people that don't do that. In fact, a client we have in New York doesn't charge for consults, which is insane. I mean, figure out the math. So we did 75 paid consults last week for 275 bucks a pop. And that's one week. That's a lot of revenue to offset your marketing campaigns. The problem with doing a free consult, obviously, is your conversion rate is going to be way lower. Like you'll be lucky to convert 10 or 20% of those people because they're just not good lead. They're not qualified leads. They haven't paid you anything yet. And so I'm seeing my clients who, who do free consults about a 20% and our firms after a paid consult, we're doing about 57% mm -hmm. conversion. So that, that's the first thing. And then the second thing in terms of maximizing, uh, one of the things that I like to do is look for where there's value add on a leverage basis. So we do a lot of mediated divorces. So let's say we do 5,000 for a mediated divorce. Both clients are coming in for mediation services, one-time fee of $5,000, but we can get it done in a handful of hours. And they have the certainty and the cost control and the quickness and the privacy. And that's a win-win. So you can look for win-win situations for clients like that, for sure. And then you can bolt some services on the end of it. Like you guys do estate planning. Every divorce client should be offered some sort of at least basic estate plan at the end because they've changed everything. They need a new will. They need a power of attorney. They need a living will. They need all kinds of stuff. So that's that's what I would look at. Okay, and I that... would also look at trying to make that person a raving fan so that they'll refer another client to you and basically double your ROI on that marketing. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot too recently. And um, like just other things too, like I think there's a natural fit for stuff just in the estate planning world, especially for stuff like probate too, which is like, who's got a better example of why you need to get this stuff done and the person who's you know knee deep in, in all like the red tape and trying to get it figured out yeah. but i'll also say that to the um the paid consult thing too i gotta say this because i have a client that's gonna jump down my throat we've had a it's interesting 
think for I think for for people where they have a super high hair on fire need on that stuff, you've got enough juice, you've got enough friction that you can get that thing in front of it. That's awesome. But I also think it's super cool too. We had um this is one of my I think I ended up writing about this in one of my books, but it's interesting because the the precedent for free consultations and we had to have this. Uh, I remember we had a client in Dallas way back in the day, and we were basically going after free. I mean, so he was just like, I don't do free consultations, so we just had consultation call now, and then everyone just assumed it was free. So we had to rebrand it. We called it a winning divorce game plan session. And then he was able to charge for it, which was solid. But um, you guys like what kind of, you know, and this is just one way that we ended up figuring this out once upon a time. But what kind of pushback do you guys get from that? And how are you able to get around the people like, oh, I thought it was free. Yeah, it's your sales, pro- your intake process. I okay. mean, I think we've come a long way and there's so much out there now about free versus So for me. And I would hate to be in estate planning for that reason, because that that's a, like a historical precedent. Like nobody charges <laughs> consults for that, which sucks. Although we did have a model at one point where we were charging for the consult and then crediting the consult toward the fee. I like that. That worked pretty well. So we have our people trained to just tell them why. You'll come out of here, you'll completely understand your case and understand, you know, you'll know what your resolution is going to look like and you can plan for that. And mostly what we tell them is, look, a free consult, a true free consult is nothing more than a sales pitch. You go in there, you get like 30 minutes They're going to tell you mostly about their firm and why they should take the case. It's just not very valuable. And that's what we tell people. And we do a bit of takeaway selling. We say, we're a high performance team. Our time is valuable. This is a high quality consult. But if you want to go do a free consult, there's not plenty. There's a few. Uh, You might be able to find one. And then often they've called around and they realize in most markets, that's not really a thing unless you're just, I mean, kind of bottom of the barrel. Are you like me, 26 years old? You know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's what you're going to get. So that's awesome. You know, I'll also say this too. It's kind of one of these things. And I've seen a couple of people, there's some really funky models out there. Like, like I've loved the uh, people like get a credit card and you only get charged if you don't show. Like that's kind of an interesting, weird one. But I think like all these things too, just like what I always try to think about when I get questions about this is like, there's the major thing I think about when people are thinking about different processes is like this concept of friction. Anything, whether it's charging, whether it's having an extra step, whether it's having them can fill some sort of an inventory before, you're either going to increase the friction, which is going to be quality up because it's a higher hurdle, most likely volume down. But that's only one thing because the other thing too is if you have a good enough offer, good enough sales process, that gives you all, you know, that, that can give you enough bandwidth to add more hurdles in there and still getting a really good, you know, pull through in terms of throughput is probably the better word as far as getting that stuff too. And, you know, I can definitely see how that would translate into a bigger, you know, LTV client down the line. So that's, that's super cool. So let's switch gears a little bit too, as far as kind of the other side of the scaling equation, right? So when we get these people with getting, you know, more of this marketing in there, how do you think about getting people to, you know, these different levels of revenue, right? Cause it's like, we have people that are probably coming in from not having marketed before going to the part where they're marketing and getting that stuff figured out to like finally getting themselves out of the practice. Like, how do you guys think about the priorities at those different levels? It's a really great question. And what I tell people more than anything is that growth is a matter of mindset. And I always say it's 90% mental, 10% mental. Growth is all mental. It's a matter of will. It's not even like should, win. It's like right now, if you want to grow right now, you have to decide that. And then my typical process is to take a look at the market and to kind of know 
Am I in a position to be able to take an attorney and scale them to break even? How long would that take? If I'm confident that I can do that, then we take the plunge. And that means that we already know we're going to have to spend X amount on marketing. I mean, in order to scale, you do have to have a solid, solid marketing, whether it's an agency, whether you have in-house, whether however you're doing that, you should have predictable results. So that's what we do. We'll say, okay, it's going to take us. And I'll just tell you, this is very peculiar to the divorce space. It takes us. I would say about 40 cases in divorce cases is when the attorneys start to get sketchy. <laughs> They're like, okay, if I don't have a good paralegal and we don't have good systems, 40 is going to seem pretty challenging. And beyond that, it's going to be somewhat untenable. And so we know that we're going to be at 40. And then when we bring a new attorney in, assuming they're not a baby lawyer, we can scale them in like 90 to 120 days. So all I do is I just build into the budget. In this month one, we're going to lose money. Month two, they're going to be, and then by month four, they're going to be pretty much close to target. And that's how we do it. Sometimes you have to take a step back to take two or three steps forward. And I've certainly done that. I've certainly lost money. I mean, when I opened Denver, we were losing $50,000 a month. That's wow. and that was our business plan. It's an interesting thing too, because like, I'll just say this too, just going back to your story earlier, David, like you were able to get out to the point where you were you know, not even required for the day-to-day -day operations in pretty short order, right? Like how long was that journey for you personally the first time? Oh, I mean, that took me a good, and I didn't even have that on my radar. And I didn't really mm -hmm. do that till my daughter went to college. So it was... I would say I was probably, I might've been practicing for like 10 years, about maybe 15 years before mm -hmm. I really got to a position where I could step away. That was my individual practice. And then I built two more practices in a third of the time that it took me to build the first one. Because yeah. it just goes way, way faster. Yeah. You got to write a budget where you have a decreasing revenue line and that, that ultimately gets to zero. And then that's your budget. If that's what you want. Some people don't want that. Yeah. And well, this is kind of funny. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because it's like we have a situation, especially for people that are making the leap from a solo to somebody who's investing in stuff like marketing. In the end, it's like like if the marketing is working, you're going to be investing in payroll sooner or later, right? But it's just like, yeah, like people want to have a linear and lockstep. I'm just increasing profit every month. But it's just like, no, that's not how big firms think about it. It's like you got to go through the dip to get out the other side. And you can be super profitable and be a solo and have no stress and no employees. But, you know, you're not going to be able to take long vacations. You know, it's not going to be a super sellable asset. Or you can go through the, you know, you can go through that dip and come out the other end. Then you're going to have a business. You're going to have have asset. Yes, you know, there's going to be less profit in the meantime, but people got to get honest about what it's going to really take to get to the end of the day. And both paths are fine. It's just you got to get set on what you really want, right? Yeah. So, you know, I was telling you before we started, there are people that will call me, you know, because we we have a book or we have an ebook that's called out that's called something like Law Firms on Fire, how an ordinary mm -hmm. attorney built $11 million practice. So people will call and say, I would like to build an $11 million practice and it's fine. I'm all, all for it. But when it comes down to what they really need to do, you know, it, it's a completely different story. It's, it's really not for the faint of heart, but it, it's a lot easier when you have predictable marketing. And then mm -hmm. one other thing I wanted to mention, because we just did this is that a lot of small businesses, whether it's law firms or other, they overlook acquisition as a way to grow. So we had an opportunity in Colorado, for example, and I always like to use real life examples so people know I'm not full of shit, like half the attorneys <laughs> out there. We had an opportunity where we're opening in Colorado Springs, which is a large market. 
pretty large market, 750,000 people. And the woman who was the leading person already had a practice up in Grand Junction. And we said, well, does it make sense for us to acquire that practice as well? Because there's a ton of business up there. She's a good attorney and she's done a good job with her practice, but she just doesn't have the skill to grow it. It's very challenging, you know, to grow practices in small towns, even when there's a ton of work because of the talent, but because we have so many resources, we're able to do that. So we acquired that practice and now we're opening two locations at the same time instead of one. And right. so that's, those are great opportunities. I don't know that they're got to be really careful because there a lot of firms don't have any value, but certainly there's infrastructure and talent and things like that. So yeah, that's super interesting. We actually had somebody who was uh, an expert on valuation, mostly on the sell side, Roy, Roy Ginsburg. And it was really interesting because it's like, it's kind of an opaque market as far as how to price law firms. Right. And it's like, you know, sometimes like, how did you guys end up going through that? I, t- I think I talked to Roy. At some no point. kidding. Oh, I small, think so. Small I think, world. Huh? See you in the East Coast. <laughs> somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, Minnesota, usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think think we talked. So this is like a real wake-up call for people. Law practices aren't worth anything. I mean, for the most part, you know, they're typically looking at some sort of multiple of your like net earnings, essentially. Mm. And those multiples are small, especially for divorce, because you have no institutional clients. It's just turning it over every month. And so you, number one, you have to be out of the practice in order for it to have value. You have to be able to say, this is an ongoing concern. You can take over. So what what my firm is working on is a prepaid buyout at the end. So I have a 10 year, I have a 10 year window and end of 10 years, we want to have funded this buyout. It's kind of like phantom equity. They're vesting, but they don't really have anything till the end. And then at the, at the 10 year period, we're hoping, I mean, we're projecting that we'll have enough money that that will purchase the firm for them with an agreed upon valuation. So we're using a I think a uh, 3x or 4x or so. I don't remember what the multiple is. Yeah, hmm. but that's super cool. And then as far as like, I know you guys have a bunch of capital in, to play with. If you were recommending this for somebody, you know, either in your program or just in general, like at what size of a firm would this start to make sense for somebody on the acquiring side as a play? Oh, I don't think that's the thing. I mean, the firm we acquired just had one one attorney, but a ton of work, a great reputation, an office, staff. So we could basically just come in, take that over, drop our compensation and marketing plans on top of it. And then although the business isn't worth anything, it will be worth something once we scale it. So like I have an interview tomorrow with the first associate we're likely to hire there. So yeah, it, it could be huge. It could be small. It just depends on what it gives you when you purchase that firm. Okay, gotcha. And then as far as like somebody, like how big would somebody want to be before they start thinking about acquiring other firms? Again, it doesn't matter. You could be a three or four, you know, you could be sitting here in Denver with a three or four attorney thing. And there's, so let me, let me say this. Here's a good way to do this. When you're advertising for an employee, what I always say is I give the pitch. And then I say, this is also a great opportunity for a solo or small firm that would like to merge their practice. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm looking for somebody who's a good lawyer, has good client flow, good team, but they really just don't know how to run their practice. So they'll either become a coaching client for me, or I may end up 
wanting to buy their practice. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's also kind of cool too. just kind of going back to that, like, what do people really want? It's there's the skills, but also the mental fortitude to get to the point where you really want to grow things. And it's not everyone's cut out for it, honestly. And those people would probably be happier in a situation where they required or joining up with somebody who's gets off on the actual scaling stuff. The sickos like us, right? I don't think I get off on it. Oh, maybe not. (laughs) Poor choice of words. Sorry, dude. (laughs) I mean, I like it. I don't like that. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there are a lot of choices that need to be made. And I think that that a lot of attorneys are pretty unhappy with with what they're doing. And and a lot of it is just systems. And a lot of it is is marketing, quite frankly. So that's the part I really like about the marketing side of it. Because when I get an entrepreneur style attorney who's really interested in growing and will listen and will try new things. God, it's super exciting. I get these emails you know, from this client I'm telling you about, the new David Crum, basically, yeah. in California. And I, it's just like the best feeling you could possibly get when someone tells you, Dude, we're crushing it. We're, I doubled my revenue. It's just like, I mean, it's great. So I think there's a way to get balance. I'm I, I'm seeing a good amount of attorneys who have good balance and good money and and the kind of culture they want. And I think that's really what it's about at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's it's not easy to get it built. But once you're on the other side of like that team that's got the good culture, everyone's gelling, P and L's looking good. Like you know, it's sometimes there's some scary days on the way to that. But that's you know, it's a tough feeling. Not everyone gets to experience it, but it's it's you know, it's the best thing in the world once you're there. We want to go back to the marketing stuff, just as far as you kind of like a little speed round thing for the people that are coming to you. What do you think most attorneys are getting wrong? And we can get as granular or as big picture as you want on either AdWords stuff or marketing in general. What are kind of some of the common things that you see people messing up? I mean, just about everything. It's you know, it starts with where are you sending clients? Are you sending them to a web page? Are you sending them? You should be sending them to a custom landing page. You know that is exactly what they're looking for. You should have lead capture devices. You should have follow-up sequences with your email. That's we see very few attorneys having effective follow-up sequences. So from a marketing standpoint, you know, it's that it's understanding that marketing is about data-driven content. It's not about, like you said, oh, just put a video on TikTok. I mean, there's so much more to that. I was telling you, you know, we're doing a lot of Instagram work for another business that I have, and it's not easy. You've got to have a a funnel for these, these clients to make their way into your firm. And that's where most people are missing it. And then they're not using high quality marketers to handle PPC and SEO. SEO, I mean, you were kind of making fun, you know. Oh, it of, works, man. I just didn't want yeah, to sell kind of making fun. I didn't have it's, the it's balls not, to sell 12 month contracts. That's why I didn't do it. Right. <laughs> it's it's not, it's not, it's not an overnight thing, but I'm telling you, if you're in a small market, it's still there. If you know what you're doing, you can rank, you know. So we're, we rank, I mean, right now in Colorado, we rent we're 40% of our traffic comes from organic mm. and we're ranking number one for divorce attorney, you know, Denver. So, I mean, I, I think the, I think that SEO piece, it's always the same for me. I, I look at PPC first SEO and then to social mm. because social just doesn't right now. And I think we do it about as good as you can. It just doesn't generate, you know, the quantity of clients that, PPC, like search marketing or good SEO is ultimately going to drive. 
Although we're, we're now that I'm doing Instagram for this other business that my wife and I own, and we've been incorporating that into the law practices, we are getting like, that's not a bad way to start making contact with clients. It's just really time intensive. Yeah. And I'll say this too, like whether it's somebody who's stuffing, you know, budget into a PPC campaign that's going to an empty funnel or a non-existent funnel, or I think it's sometimes worse when people are putting time into making content that's going to like completely dead end, but like that just kills people. It just like, at the end of the day. And it's no surprise people are getting frustrated and saying, well, screw this. I'm going back to referrals. And you know, it's fine if that was your choice in the first place, but it's a shame when people want to do something and they're not able to incorporate, like take it all away. So to speak. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So we, we were looking at a client, we were looking at a potential client and I hate naming names, but I'll go ahead. Scorpion, they had Scorpion. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, these guys were shooting like on the weekends, they were shooting 17 podcasts that whole weekend. And these are super busy attorneys. And you're just wondering, what are you going to do with that? And I mean, it's it's just nonsensical, you know? So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people spending time in a lot of places that just don't make sense. Yeah. We're constantly questioning whether we should even be posting organically on Facebook. I mean, no one sees it. Yeah. <laughs> no one sees it. Yeah. And also I'll say this too, just kind of as far as the thing, hiring good talent as well too. Like we used to run into this all the time back when we were doing more AdWords stuff, but like people think it's simple, but it's like, it's the unknown unknowns that kill people. And like, I'll say this too, like we have a handful of, of clients that are just mostly legacy stuff, but like the kind of stuff that I think it's harder to do AdWords on your own right now than it ever was. Oh, with like impossible. the auto suggestions and stuff like this. And like Google rep will kill me if he hears about this, but it's just like, like, yeah, like they're doing terrible things with the defaults of the platform. It's still, there's there's money to be made if you can figure it out. And I guess some people would consider that an advantage if you can, but yeah, it is, it's a, it is a minefield these days. Yeah. So let me give your listeners a bit of a warning. I'm sure you've talked about this one of where you see that manifesting. So what, what we're seeing as a general trend is that search companies and all these marketing platforms are doing more and more to hide the data. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Google, because it's so complicated, I mean, back, I had a Google campaign when it first came out, no one even knew what it was. And I was setting them up. It was pretty basic. Mm -hmm. And now I would never be able to do that. It's, it's really difficult to do it. And so now Google has things like local search ads, which are user friendly and kind of easier to set up. And they are, they can be a disaster. You don't, you don't have any targeting control. Mm -hmm. If you don't set your call tracking, then they're going to count every single phone call, even if it's two seconds, wrong number, wrong case, they're going to credit that as a you know phone call. So yeah, I think the marketing team piece has to be there for calling if we're talking about growth, like it has to be there. Otherwise, you're going nowhere. Unless like you said, you just have a phenomenal referral program. Yeah. But if you do, man, you could do so much more with a good marketing plan sitting on top of that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, especially if you got the comp plan, you got the talent, like it seems like, you know, for the people who are willing to put in the effort and the time and the resources into doing this stuff, the playbooks there, it's just kind of just just have determination. <laughs> That, right. Which is another thing. But um, anyways, I think this has been awesome. David, as far as like, you know, what's the best way to get into your world for anyone who's enjoying this stuff? Like what's uh, anyone who's listening to this thing? This is rock on. Like, you know, what's the best yeah, way yeah, to take the next step? I think the best way to do that is just to just to look for us at cardinalconcepts.com. That's the marketing company. And my email is just my name, David at cardinalconcepts.com. I am happy to talk to anybody. I mean, obviously, if you have marketing needs that you want to take care of, we're happy to talk. But I'm happy to talk to anybody. And the reason why is because I know what it's like to struggle. I mean, I 
struggled hard for, I mean, I made $25,000 my first year with a $100,000 student loan, you know? So every time I can talk to somebody, whether it's paid or unpaid and kind of give them a little pointer signpost to help them out, I'm happy to do it. So whatever people want to talk about, I'm happy to talk about. Okay, awesome. And we'll get that on the show notes. But um, Dave, this has been an awesome combo, man. I really appreciate you uh, keeping it real with me. Like this has been yeah. a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. And uh, definitely want to talk to you too about your stuff. I like what you guys are doing. So I appreciate you having me on, man. Okay, my pleasure, David. Be and careful then... when you're in New Mexico. Let's do my best. Big, big water bottles. But um, for everybody else, I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.